Hello and welcome to the Vinyl Countdown, the podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, break down my favorite vinyl releases from cover to cover and everything in between. So, on this week's episode, um, I guess another surprise episode. Hey, welcome back. Um, so, I listened to uh, the Reminiscent Guys uh, podcast, the episode on uh, Melrose Diner off of the Upsides by The Wonder Years. And I felt like, man, I really want to cover this record because I've been wanting to do it for at least a couple of years now. Uh, shout out Tom and Pat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I love this record. Uh, it came out in 2011. It's the uh, it's Suburbia. I've given you all, and now I'm nothing by the Wonder Years, of course. Uh, it's kind of weird, though. This band has, um, I don't know. I have a weird experience with them because I love this record. It's one of my favorite records of all time. Like, hands down. Top 10 or 15, right? But that's kind of where my experience with them begins and ends. Like, the upsides didn't really, like, catch me and grab me the way this record... I don't know. I'll get into it. But I don't really know what song or where I heard this anything off of this album first. I know at some point I came across the song Don't Let Me Cave In as a single. And, I mean, I looked back. um, (laughs) I, I searched through my personal Instagram for almost an hour the other day while writing this to see, like, what was the 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 moment can I pinpoint the moment that I heard this song and the oldest documented post I have reference or showing the song that I was listening to or whatever is from August of 2012 so it's been at least since then but it's been out since 2011 right so yeah you know we'll get into more of the band of course and all the other things about the band that I like in here and this and that but first let's get on down to variant corner so Discogs, as it can be sometimes, is a fucking disaster when it comes to this release. Um, there are 12 listed, that's not including test pressings, which of course I never do. There are only actually nine, and even that number may be up for debate. So uh, to start, all of these released in 2011. There's a Grey Marble, limited to 500, uh, an Orange Hot Topic exclusive limited to 600, Baby Blue limited to at 500, uh, an orange-gray split, which looks sick as fuck. Again, you all know how I love my split-colored records. Limited to 500 as well. And then a standard black variant at 1,000 pressed. Uh, a second pressing then came in 2013, this time on clear vinyl with 1,500 being pressed. Then another clear pressing in 2015 emerged, uh, limited to 1,000, which is the one that I got back then in 2015. And then... 2016 saw the release of a frosted clear variant, pressing pressing count unknown. So they really love their clear variants, it looks like. But uh, what's funny is the 2013 and 15 pressings look identical, but then the 2016 pressing, that frosted clear is kind of like, um, I, don't know, I, I actually like the way it looks better uh, than just completely see-through. I have another record like that, uh, uh, Bush's 16 Stone is pressed on a, like a frosted clear like that, and it looks really, really cool. There's one that's listed, it's only, it's listed simply as a subscription cover. There are no picks except for the title of the album on the cover, I guess. But it does show a slash 30, so that, I guess, assuming it is limited to only 30. But it does not say what color the record is. There's just, no, there's really no information about it. So all of these variants across the board have sold anywhere from 30 to $100. So not the most expensive, but still, it can get a little pricey on the higher end. Uh, the biggest issue that I've seen is just being able to find them at all. Uh, I've had people commenting on my Instagram posts, like whenever I did post about this record, uh, the Vinyl Countdown podcast and Instagram, go check it out, uh, saying that they've been searching for months, et cetera, et cetera, cannot find it. And I didn't realize it was so sought after or that it was that hard to find. 
you know. And uh, after I realized that, after posting it a few times, uh, going to Discogs and just like, you know, casually checking every so often just to see, there never seems to be any that pop up for sale. You know, it's like one every few months, maybe. So I don't know. I'm, I'm I, In that regard, I feel fortunate that I jumped on it when it, you know, when it dropped in 2015 and I was able to get my hands on a copy. But also, before I get too far or get past Variant Corner, one that's not listed in with these, it's under a separate title, but it is the Upsides uh, Suburbia box set that released this past January and then had a second pressing in April. And guess who missed it? Yep, me, because I suck. Um, so this four LP set had four different variants. There's a split variant, which is the one that I wanted where each record is a different color with a uh, split with white. There's baby blue, maroon, orange, and gray, and looks uh, also, to quote myself from earlier, fucking sick. Uh, I'm always a sucker for a split color. Of course, we get it, right? My Probably my favorite kind of variant. Uh, there's one for sale for 210 so that's going to be a no for me, dog. Um, one fun fact about this one, too, is that out of 1,000 pressed, the first 300 included a signed poster sold through Spotify, and the remaining 700 were then sold through Hopeless Records' website. Uh, next up is the blue variant, where guess what color they all are? Uh, baby blue. So all four LPs are the same color. Kind of boring. Um, that one's up for sale for 175 and was also limited to 1,000. Uh, next up is the Galaxy variant, limited to 1,500. Uh, the records are baby blue, orange, pink, and gray, quote-unquote galaxy, but it really is just kind of like a white marbling, like, mixed in with the color. Um, I'm always on the fence about these, like this type of variant, because they never seem to come out the way that at least the mock-ups uh, portray them, but also it's just in my head the way I picture how I want it to look. One example is uh, Lingua Ignata's uh, Caligula album. It's a pink galaxy variant, but it's more of like a super, super light pink with almost... It's almost non-visible white smoke marble, I guess, contained within the pink. It's uh, honestly a little disappointing because I want it to look just cooler than that. I don't know. Nonetheless, uh, there's none listed for sale, but one did sell in May of this year for 150 And lastly, there's one listed simply as the white variant, which is limited to 1500 That was a Wonder Years web store exclusive, but Discogs does not have a listing for it yet. Uh, it's just mentioned in the overview of the variants. And um, the further I dug into that, it seems is because that particular variant sold last and has not started shipping yet. That was part of the second pressing in from April, right? And again, all four LPs are white. Um, so this is the write-up on the band's website about the box set and what it includes. So, quote, In celebration of the 10-year anniversaries of the Upsides and Suburbia, I've given you all and now nothing because, you know, the Upsides came out in 2010, Suburbia came out in 2011, and it's 2021, so they just went ahead and just, you know, bundled out the whole 10-year thing together, right? Uh, we've put a, together a comprehensive 4LP box set complete with new art from the original artists, uh, Mitchell Wojcik, Wojcik? And Wojcik? Fuck. And James Heimer. Uh, new songs in the style of the original recordings, B-sides, demos, and a 32-page book filled with essays, original illustration sketches, and never-before-seen photos. Uh, sounds cool as shit. And uh, again, I just somehow missed it like I don't I don't even remember it coming out I think or maybe I did and maybe I just like forgot about it somehow I mean whatever the case cue the sad violins right like I, I missed it and I'm not going to pay 150 bucks for it but you know it, it would be really cool to have but um yeah oh well uh, on to the band so the Wonder Years formed in July of 2005 actually I read somewhere else July 7th 2005 one day after my 21st birthday 
in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Uh, the band currently consists of Dan Soupy Campbell, lead vocals, uh, Casey Cavalier on lead guitar and backing vocals, Matt Brash on guitar and vocals, Josh Martin on bass and vocals, Nick Steinborn on guitar, keyboards, and backing vocals, and Mike Kennedy on drums and percussion. Fun side note, uh, it says that Nick joined in 2009, but then switched to his current role once Mike Kennedy came back. I was able to find a few articles. There was one in particular that kind of went into it. Mike apparently left the band in 2010 to further his education, but then came back that same exact year, like a few months later or something. So I guess it didn't go the way he wanted it to. It does appear though he was back in time to record the drums for Dear Suburbia. So this uh, this Nick fellow never, seemingly, I guess, never got to actually record or write any drum parts for, for any, either record. You know, he was kind of right in the middle of the upsides in this. But I do wonder, which I mean, this is kind of just my own brain going off on a tangent here, but I do wonder if any of the songs any of the drum parts for this record were written by Nick, but then, you know, later performed by Mike, right? Uh, it's kind of similar to how Cody and Cambria on the Delirium Delirium Trigger EP, it was uh, Nate Kelly was their drummer for Delirium Trigger, and I think 33 was on there too. And then when those songs made it to the their first album, Josh Eppard had taken over. He didn't, you know, he didn't write any of those parts, but those were like Nate Kelly written and performed parts and then Josh was just on the record to record them right and there's not really I, I, honestly I will say that you can't really to me there's not a huge difference especially in the in that very early Coheed work between Josh and Nate's drumming they're very similar which is good because it wasn't a huge you know shift right but when they went to Chris Penny from Josh Eppert there was a to me a big disconnect there I, I didn't like Chris Penny's drumming in the framework of Coheed, right? And then even then, you know, it was it was Taylor Hawking that played the drums for the Good Apollo 2 album. And even that, like, I know he probably didn't, like, write any of that, or it was mostly Chris Penny, like, kind of writing and people inputting and whatever, but I didn't like his style of playing. I don't know. I, did, I didn't like it at all. Josh is pretty much the piece, the, obviously the best drummer for them. But I guess the point is that Nate Kelly is also a very good drummer as well. And in this case, like I said, I just wonder if... Any of these songs were like Nick Steinborn, like, you know, if he if he was the one that came up with them and then it was like, oh, hey, Mike, by the way, play this because I wrote this and it's pretty cool. I don't know. Really doesn't matter. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Dear Suburbia is their third full length. Uh, Get Stoked On It is their first and The Upsides their second. Like I mentioned earlier, this album is kind of like the end all be all for me with them. Uh, I've listened to The Upsides after this one, of course, but... um just didn't like really just hold my attention the way this album always did. Again, go listen to the Reminiscent Podcast, episode 156, uh, where Pat and Tom cover the entire album much better than I ever could. Uh, so if you're a fan of it at all, you will love that album or that episode for sure. I do still need to listen to the first album as well. I just never got around to it. Uh, their fourth album, The Greatest Generation, also just didn't really hold my interest at all. I don't know. I've never really gotten back into them except for this one perfect album. The only thing that I do, uh, I kind of kick myself all the time for not getting a hold of it when it was new and, and, and available. They did a split with, with a Motion City soundtrack. And if I'm not mistaken, they did songs, like they covered one of their songs and then Motion City soundtrack covered one of their, like one of the one of your songs and they put out a split EP together and it was fucking awesome. Now that particular seven inch is going for way more than it should. Like it's, um, 
I'm actually going to look it up real quick and and see, but I remember it being like, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks for two songs. It's like, as much as I love stuff like that, and like, I really like to have it because I do love Motion City soundtrack. That's just one of those things like I cannot, I, I don't know, I, I can't see myself paying that much for a seven inch, I guess. So released in 2015, there are, there's a green transparent and a red opaque, and they are, there's one for sale for $40. You know, like I said, they, it's a sort of a song for Patsy Cline is the one that Motion City does. And then it's it's a pleasure to meet you is the one that uh, the one of yours do, which is off of Motion City's last album, Panic Stations. So good stuff. I should have got it when I had the chance, but I didn't. Um, anyway, all of that being said, let's just go ahead and dive into the album. So track one came out swinging. So God damn it. This song, I mean, it's up there with one of the, the best album openers of all time right? Like, it's got to be. Uh, the intro is like this, like, staticky sounding, like, old phone or something, leading into, like, a really cool drum beat, and then, bam, Soupy comes in hot with the, moved all my shit to my parents' basement and out of our old apartment, and they just, like, it just thrusts you right into the shit, and, like, you're just, like, you're in it. There's one thing about this album I love, it's just how raw and honest it is in its presentation of just living life and heartaches and any other tough subjects that it deals with. It's presented in such a relatable but also a uh, soul-crushing way. Uh, Soupy's an amazing songwriter, you know, and it definitely shows on this album. And, and I think, I don't know, maybe unfairly, but this album is so good to me and has so much meaning that may, maybe that's why I just like, maybe I overhyped the rest of their releases. And when they didn't quite live up to maybe whatever stupid standard I said, I'm like, fuck this album. I'm going to just keep listening to Dear Suburbia. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Because if, if I sat back and listened to their entire catalog, I'm sure I'd love it, but... Whatever the case, uh, the song seems to be about, uh, you know, leaving a girlfriend, moving home, but constantly churning, et cetera, et cetera. For me, diving into some personal shit here, although it was before the dissolving of my first marriage, uh, I really got super into it uh, after. Uh, so these lyrics hit deep and really mean something, I guess, different for me. Uh, in the chorus where he sings, um, I'm running on empty and the late nights and the long drives start to get to me. I'm just so tired. I spent this year as a ghost, and I'm not sure what I'm looking for. A voice on a phone that you rarely answer anymore. I came to here alone. I came in here alone, and in the background he says, but that doesn't scare me like it did seven months ago. I spent this year as a ghost, and I'm not sure where home is anymore. I mean, always puts me right back, just like, pew, psh, smack dab in the middle of that time period, for better or worse, right? The whole album is pretty uh, upbeat. Kind of, I don't... I hesitate to call them pop punk. I don't really know what they are. I mean, I guess I guess you could say pop punk if you had to lump them somewhere. But um, it, it's just, it, it's always one of those it's one of those things that I love about a, so many bands. I've talked about it a million times. This upbeat sort of like fast paced, uh, this chugs along, keeps it keeps it moving real good, real well, or whatever. But also, I wouldn't say secretly depressing, but very heavy lyrics. So just a, a casual listen. You know, it's real upbeat and it's real like whatever. It's like borderline dancey, right? The thing you really read the lyrics and it's like, ooh, like that crushes my soul. And that's like my favorite thing. I, lo- I love bands do that. I love it. So I love the the relatable, more relatable lyrics come out. <laughs> my heart keeps saying stay young, but my lower back seems to disagree. That's a great line. Um, <laughs> then, the, then the outro. He says, um, I came out swinging from a South Philly basement, caked in stale beer and sweat under half-lip fluorescence, and I spent the winter writing songs about getting better. And if I'm being honest, 
I'm getting there. Then it's like, takes a second, and then just, boom, comes back. Super fucking loud, and he's screaming it, and it's great. Um, I did see them live in 2013, and I was kind of bummed that, like, they, they played a handful of songs off of this record, but they did a lot off of the upsides that I wasn't super familiar with yet, and they did a lot off of The Greatest Generation, which I was not familiar with at all. So I was kind of in a weird spot where I was like, just play Dear Suburbia. Like, I just wanted to hear it from start to finish, really, and... Did not get my wish. But they were awesome live. I will give them that. Now, somehow, opener's great. But the album just keeps getting better and better, right? Uh, track two, Woke Up Older, is, um, I found out it's an homage to the Mountain Goat song, uh, Woke Up New. And uh, I just listened to that while writing this for the first time. And it's really good. Um, in this song, though, Soupy sings in the chorus, Hey, Jess, I woke up older, carrying two years in the bags under my eyes. This song, according to Song Genius, is uh, Soupy and Jess have been together for two years, and now that it's over, Soupy almost immediately feels the impact of what those years have done to him. Done to him. Been there, bruh. Also loving the second verse where he says, uh, You made this house into a home, and now I'm a stranger on my street. And as I turned to leave, I caught myself in the mirror to see I aged a year this week. <laughs> uh, again, can't relate. And then in the bridge, of course, that's pretty awesome. He says, um, so I didn't know this. Now this makes sense because I know that it's a Mountain Goats, uh, a lot of references to that Mountain Goats song. But for the longest time, like for the past like 10 years, I had no idea. He says, uh, when John introduced Woke Up New in St. Augustine, I knew I wasn't alone. Uh, so that's pretty neat. And then he sings, uh, when I woke up here without you, there was nothing to do but pack up and go home then cue one of my favorite fucking drum breaks on the whole record that i've tried to cre- recreate on numerous occasions and can never do it but um god damn it's so good it's so good do yourself a favor and listen to the whole song of course but then pay attention to that part after i fucking love it also before we move on the uh, you left the room receding like my hairline uh lyric is pretty great too so uh, next up local man ruins everything uh this song has a line that i would definitely put on my tombstone <laughs> It says, uh, he says, it's not about forcing happiness. It's about not letting sadness win. And that line, once I really listened to it, really kind of just kind of clicked for me, I guess. Just like shook me right down to my core, right? Like it's honestly something that I think about a lot. Just like when intrusive thoughts creep in or like kind of start to feel down and whatever, right? Like I, that sort of grounds me and like gets me back, like mentally kind of gets me like, okay, let me, let, let me, you know, refocus and try to get myself back on the the right track i guess right other notable lines in the song i love the uh i don't have roses in the closet but i've got pictures in a drawer it's everything in me not to stare at them anymore another gut punch right because it's like you're holding on to things from previous i guess relationships or whatever which as i've gotten older of course i've I've gotten really good at kind of you know flushing all that shit down the proverbial toilet i can understand that like you're holding on to things and you kind of, you look back for better or worse, you look back at shit and you're like, you know, it just, it sucks. But moving on, track four, Suburbia. Now, oh, I feel like a fucking idiot too. Did not realize this until just now. This song kicks off a mini trilogy within the album, which includes this song, track nine, I've given you all, and track 13, and now I'm nothing, which you put them all together and you got the album, you got the album title. Never once did I realize that until now. 
Um, but these songs are meant as a thematic interlude dealing with Dan's hometown as opposed to the rest of the album, which deals with his personal issues. So in the song, he does, he talks about, like, about his hometown and everything, right? And he talks about how a burn, uh, bowling alley burnt down and, you know, people in town, I guess, know that it was for the uh, insurance money and that, like, it did not accidentally burn down. Also, it's kind of cool, the most... The most famous person to come out of here was the guy that played Leatherface and all those Chainsaw Massacres, right? So that's pretty cool. Like, you know, and again, he, he references a, a specific place and street. He says, uh, you know, every business on Main Street collapsed except Morgan's mom's place. The whole town feels dead. And, well, the whole town feels dead and I can't blame it. It's like, feel that. I mean, I live in a relatively small town and there's a lot to uh, relate to in that regard as far as like things kind of just being shitty I guess I don't know and just having like really no claim to fame other than like some weird weird statistics like the uh what's his name I think Rob Marciano who's like on Entertainment Tonight maybe like started out as one of our weathermen like 15 years ago or something on our our local station which is kind of like hey there's something or um uh Joe Dumars of Detroit Pistons fame uh went to McNeese State and that that's in town here so that's that's something I mean we have a handful of things. It was just like random fucking, just like a hodgepodge of things. It's like, oh, hey, did you know this about Lake Charles? Like it's, but anyway, track five, My Life as a Pigeon. Uh, this song, again, just super fucking upbeat, man. And just, um, I don't know, super relatable, right? I like how he starts the song off. Where he talks about, you know, this, uh, this, is how spending, this is how I'm spending 6 a.m. Scraping ice off a windshield and freezing. I'm late to work again under the double shift. I'm going to pull my weight in this world because it's all I have. I'm onto something. I can feel it. I guess the whole song is kind of just um, him just seemingly trying to understand, you know, his place in the world, I guess, and just trying to figure things out. And he says, like in verse two, he says, you know, I can't get my footing steadied in all of this. I'm always ducking swings or looking over my shoulder when I should be making progress. Uh, This is the the shit they don't teach you how to deal with. Like an army of self-righteous kids that's only... That only like the seven inch, I'm putting miles between myself and this bullshit. Song genius, right? Take it with a little pinch of salt there. Um, but in the, the seven inch kids line, they say that Soupy's re- referring to fans who claim to love the band's earlier material, typically because they want credibility in the music scene. They never give the band's later work a fair shot. And with the one years, I guess the seven inch in question is the won't be pathetic forever. Uh, their first release as a quote-unquote serious band, and what's often considered to be their first legitimate release, as they have disowned most of what came before it. Uh, I guess I could say I'm guilty of that. Everybody's guilty of that with at least one band at some point, right? Hell, even this band. I mean, I kind of did it with this <laughs> with this record. Like, I just haven't gone past this record, you know? But anyway, yeah, so that's kind of what the song seems to be leading towards, right? Like, it's just him trying to figure things out and just, like, you know, just navigating life within the um the, the the band making music world right summers in pa are up next uh i love the, the goddamn the intro of the song is great like i can sing this i hear it once and i, I swear to god I'll, I'll walk around just singing it all fucking day long and he says he just comes in summer came on way too strong and the radio played all new songs so i smile and hum along i hum along anyway so good. Um, the song obviously is about summers in Philadelphia, right? Cannot relate, but um, you know, the, ver- the first verse he says, uh, "Everybody's finally home for the first time this year. I feel whole because I've been so afraid of being alone." You know, you talk about you know heading up 
309, I guess, the uh, highway there, I'm sure, and just, you know, hanging out with friends, right? He he references a Spyro, a guy, that uh, is also mentioned on a song in the uh, Upsides or whatever. He says, because uh, uh, Spyro lied about his major and said, fuck the whole thing. So he's home to make some bad decisions with me, which I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but I've I switched my majors like fucking six times when, when I was first starting out in college, and I have friends that did, did the same, and you know, we're like, yeah, I'm going back to school for this or this. And then, like, we just don't. Or we do for a little bit, and then it's like, we're just done with it. I don't know. It's That's always fun. And then the chorus, of course, uh, <laughs> there's something about weeknights in the suburbs. There's something about me and all my friends, kings of awkward situations. The plum blossoms are falling. I'm more than happy going down with them. Uh, <laughs> so the second verse is like my fucking favorite. So the casino seemed like a bad idea, but Denny seemed like a worse one. I don't think that we'd ever let that stop us. We ended up busted, broken, choking down a grand slam. I can't think of a better way for the night to end. Because we're this generation's outsiders, but we've got worse intentions, and they've got better haircuts. Now, again, this song is very simply just like, hey, just hanging out with people in summer, right? What's funny is Denny's, we just got a Denny's in town like a couple of years ago, maybe. So for me, Denny's is kind of like a treat. Like, oh shit, we're out of town. Let's go to <laughs> let's go to Denny's. Like, because we just don't have one here. I've never, never had one in, in this town. So leaving shows in Houston, there's a, there's a Denny's in Baytown that's like maybe 35, 40 minutes outside of wherever the venue usually is or the venues are. And no matter what time of night it is, anytime I go to a show, we always, or used to at least, we'd always stop at Denny's. And two in the morning eating fucking whatever Denny's has to offer like it was a treat but also it was like god damn I could not imagine doing that now but I don't know that always reminds me of that just because and I can just hanging out with 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 buddies or whatever people after the show and just like going to eat and it's just you know it's fun one thing I didn't know is that Dan O'Connor and Alan Day from Four Years Strong uh provide backup vocals during the bridge where you know it says you know I'll be I'll be in the backyard laughing out by the fire saying I'm sick of running away maybe I'll stay you know we'll be in the background causing problems for the neighbors screaming we're sick of running away we'll stay we'll stay we'll stay big group gang vocals there which kind of makes sense that four year strong's uh, vocalists are on it because they're kind of the kings on you know gang vocals right so that one's great now <laughs> maybe my favorite song on the record I don't know. It's it's a toss up between this and maybe like a Don't Let Me Cave In or I, I really don't know. But I won't say the Lord's Prayer is up next. And this song, as everyone knows, I'm an atheist, whatever. You know, believe what you want to believe, cool. But this song I always love because he he just makes a lot of good points, right? Where uh, he talks about the that the church is in town, I guess. And I love the uh, this. I mean, I could read the entire song. I'll, I'll try to pick my favorites here. But you know, he mentions a lot from the Bible, who, um, he says, if Lot was righteous, uh, I think I'd rather not be, is the line there, and if I remember correctly, Lot did, what, what the fuck did Lot do, it was some bullshit he did, oh, yeah, Lot, uh, offered up his, his, uh, two daughters, I guess, to be assaulted by some angels or some shit like that, like, it's just like, who, come the fuck on, man, with this Bible shit, I mean, point is, I like that line, right, you know, he says, uh, we lean on fences built from outdated morality. It's a gang mentality. It's a dangerous thing. They don't ask you to think just to repeat after me and assume that you're too careless to look at it critically. You'll stop progress if it contradicts what you're told to believe. And then, of course, the uh, I love the I refuse to spend life on my knees line. And then, um, 
he kind of goes through uh, the, uh, <laughs> I really like the line of every single Sunday church bells wake me up, but it's never enough to pull me out of bed. And then my favorite, favorite line of the song is when he says, um, uh, the church on Broad Street has got a neon sign that says, Jesus saved me. And I guess it's so God can see from where he is. And then he like kind of low, like kind of quietly, a little more quietly says uh, in the cheap seats, right? He's like, I guess, I guess, he says, I, I guess it's so God can see from where he is in the cheap seats. And it's the way he says that for some reason, I just love it. Cause it's like, I don't know. It's, it's pretty great, you know? And he continues with, I refuse to spend life on my knees and I won't let somebody else make decisions for me. If we're all just Christians or lions, then I think I'd rather be on the side with sharper teeth. I don't need saving. It's like, fuck yeah, man. That song is absolutely perfect from start to finish. So coffee eyes is up next. Uh, it says here, it's an exercise in nostalgia. This is coming from um, Song Genius, right? Now, let's see. He says, um, Suburbia itself tells the story of Dan Campbell's return to his hometown and his reconciliation with it. Uh, this song takes a huge importance in this narrative because for the first time on the record, uh, Campbell catches himself feeling at home in the suburbs again, despite continuing qualms, right? Uh, these feelings started forming on Summers in PA, but on Coffee Eyes, they're firmer realized... And they take their source from a time when Lansdale was undeniably home for Campbell in his high school years. Uh, the song takes place at Michael's Family Restaurant, a diner where Campbell and his friends often hung out in high school. And upon his return, you know, he's in the diner again and is flooded with memories of his youthful antics, etc., etc., right? Uh, the diner comes to represent the entire town of Lansdale as though frozen in time. Very little about it has changed, but it's comforting to him. Uh, it gives him a certainty that no matter what, there will always be a place for him to feel at home. Very cool. So again, just that's kind of what the song's about, right? And then he talks about, uh, you know, there's one, like he, I guess, gives some anecdotes where it's like, you know, I cut my hand on a piece of glass, and the time we found De- Dave half dead in the parking lot, spent the rest of the night in the ER. Uh, I cut my hand on a piece of glass, and I hope the scar lasts so that I don't for- so I don't forget that. And he says, uh, "There's been a table for me there through coffee eyes and blank stares. Our, our late night affairs. There's always been a table for me there, so you can try to forget or say it's the past." you know you'll always end up right back where you left. There's also a drum beat, a drum break in this song that I just absolutely fucking love, and I've seen someone play it, a cover of it or whatever, and it's just, it's incredible. Uh, Tom and Pat mentioned it on their episode as well, but Mike Kennedy is one of, probably one of the best fucking drummers in the scene, period, like hands down. And I feel like he's like super underrated, or maybe just didn't get talked about enough, maybe because the Wonder Years isn't like a huge, huge band, but he's absolutely, absolutely incredible. Just, I like the, um, <laughs> he says, talks about, uh, I watched Mike slash Mon's tires. We laughed about it later. I watched some friendships dissolve, uh, in the booth on the back wall. I cut my hand on a piece of glass and I hope the scar lasts, right? So that's kind of what the song is about. Again, like what I read earlier, just about, they're about this place kind of taking the, the, the kind of manifesting the town itself and then just kind of being a place to call home no matter what. Right. So that's, that's kind of cool. I, I guess, I don't know, our, our local diner in town would be KD's. It's kind of the place like that. I mean, with COVID, I haven't gone back there in probably over a year, but that's a place that just, I don't know, I've had so many late nights there and so many friends and so many people I've met through there or working, people working there or just customers or whatever. Like that's a, you know, it's a well, well well-known place in town and um, it's fucking great. I love it. But uh, I could see that kind of being like our version of that diner, right? If I wanted to really you know, try to tie it in and relate it somehow. But uh, up next, track nine, I've given you all. Uh, this song is super depressing, but uh, so it starts off with um, 
This town has only had uh, this one old lonely homeless man for as long as I can think back. He was a Vietnam vet. He got beaten to death in Memorial Park under one of the benches. The cops all said it was probably kids, but nobody ever found them. I guess they stopped trying, and I wonder if they ever did. He said, it's a sober sight. The old alcoholics that drink by the train, riding Goodwill bikes, and constantly running away, wearing starter jackets for teams that haven't existed since the 90s, with discouraged faces, they're counting down and pulling at paperback 40s. Man, I'm sorry. It's like, God damn. I guess just a, you know, just terrible. <laughs> I guess, you know, I don't know how to say it, but uh, I did see a thing here that's pretty neat, actually. It, it, it links to an article about the unhoused man that they found, right? And he talks about it in the thing. He says uh, his name was Michael Ewer, uh, E-W-E-R. Uh, he was 49 when he was killed. On October 20th of 2005, he was found beaten to death inside of his sleeping bag uh, in a dugout in Memorial Park. And before his sister, Dorothy Keenan, died of cancer in on October, she died October 15th, I'm assuming 2018. That's when this was updated in November of 2018. Um, she wanted to find out who her brother's killer was. And, um, oh man, looks like, um, it does not look like they ever found who, um, who killed him or whatever, which is really fucking sad. Yeah, there's there's a whole big article. I'm not going to read through all that, but that's just you know that um, they still to this day I guess haven't solved it, and that's really uh, it's really sad. But anyway, moving right along, track number ten, "Don't Let Me Cave In," first song I ever heard by him. Uh, it says the song is about Soupy and a best friend of his who went out of their way to help Soupy when no one else did. Uh, it starts off nice and quiet, and he's like, "You drove me all the way up here." Cause you could tell that I was a mess. I wasn't going to make it to dinner. I shouldn't be calling again. You drove me all the way back. Then it comes up with this fast ass fucking beat. It's great. It's pretty awesome. I love this. You know, I circled the airport a hundred times. I tried to hide the fact that I was crying. Came in on the red eye, and that's why I look like this. It, you know, like the excuse, like that's why I look like I've been crying, right? Uh, there comes a day when you rectify who you are with who you want to be with, and I can't make those two things coexist. So don't let me cave in. Which is like, oof, just, oof, ha ha, you know. I'm going to see another one. Yeah. I spent last night getting Mexican outside the Logan Square basement show with Evan. Uh, Chicago looked desperate, but maybe that was me. I couldn't help thinking of watching the Sears Towers, Towers collapse as a kid. I feel like I might do the same thing. So don't let it happen to me. No, don't let it happen to me, right? Again, yeah, the song is just about, and I think it even says that in uh, the lyric sheet on the vinyl, I think this song, because every song has like a for somebody next to the title. I believe this one has for Evan next to the title, which he does mention this Evan person. And then they're talking about, the you know, the friend that helped him out. So I, I'm going to just connect all those dots and say that that's, you know, who the song is about, right? Absolutely incredible song. And uh, one that, again, the first one I ever heard by them, so I'm a little biased uh, for it, like to say that it's like super great and everything else, but I mean, the first time I heard it, I was just fucking blown away, like legitimately blown away. I was like, man, who the fuck is this? Like, who are these people? You know? And um, anyway, it's it's awesome. Like, I mean, this this album's gonna be a five out of five. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can probably tell by the way I'm talking about it. But this song in particular is one of my favorites on the record. So, moving right along, uh, you made me want to be a saint, track eleven. This one here is. Uh, so it takes into account uh, the death and funeral of Mike Pallone, a close friend of the Wonder Years. And apparently the title of the song is a direct line from America by Allen Ginsberg. It says, uh, your machinery is too much for me. You made me want to be a saint. Now, 
uh, this song is one that like, it's only like a minute and a half long. It's a uh, very short. He says, uh, it was how Dave said us like the last three years had never happened. It was how George walked down and threw dirt onto the casket. It was how I knew, how I know you would want this to be a fast one and not some cliched ballad. Oh, that makes sense. Then I guess that's why this particular song is not a cliche ballad. It's a, <laughs> it's a fast ass minute and a half punk song. That's just like screaming about everything. Right. It says, a heavy heart and shaking hands carried you up here. I buried half of, half of a decade there. It was the better part. You'd catch the reference if only you could hear. Because I still hear you in the bass drum beat after I'll catch you. Uh, I'm wondering if you meant anything when you typed out, you never got me down, Ray. I never went down. Uh, you know, the fucked up part is, I kind of always knew we'd have to write a song about this. Uh, you know, the fucked up part is, I had my fingers crossed that it wouldn't be for you, kid. Ugh. And then... You know, the song just ends with, you know, the fucked up part is, and he keeps saying it over and over, and it's like, fuck, is how the song wraps up. And it's like, good God almighty. So there's a a Get Up Kids reference uh, to to the song I'll Catch You, when he mentions that. Uh, The final song on the album, Something to Write Home About. So as the the last, as that song's last guitar chord rings out, there's one extra bass drum hit. Uh, Not familiar with the song, but he does reference it here, so. So that's a rough one. I guess I never knew what that song was about. It's kind of just a, like a really fast song, and I'm maybe guilty of not like looking into it more closely before. But goddamn, that's uh, rough. Uh, track twelve, hoodie weather. Uh, just that time of the year we can have a hoodie, right? Feels great. Smells like it should be snowing, and I've been frequenting a, a diner on Main Street where the waitresses or girls that graduated with me have problems with oxy and can't recall what I had to drink. Is how the song opens up, <laughs> which um. That's kind of a, a problem everywhere, I imagine. The opioid crisis is uh, bad. But in the, the pre-chorus here, he's like, uh, I've got my grandmother's veins in the back of my hands and just a hint of a South Philly accent. I was born here. I'll probably die here. Let's go home. That that line, I just, I don't know. It's not like it's super sad to like live, only live in your hometown and like, you know, live and die in your hometown, I guess. But there is something just kind of like inherently sad about that idea. And then, you know, in the chorus, he says, uh, this town's got lies to tell. I'll wait around to hear you out, but I can't keep from digging up these bones forever. At least for now, I'll settle down. I'll try to find some solid ground. I lost my footing trying to get home last winter. I guess the song's kind of about that, you know, and in the bridge, he says, uh, growing up means watching my heroes turn human in front of me. And the songs we wrote at 18 seem short-sighted and naive. So when the weather breaks, I'll pull my hoodie up over my face. I won't run away. Because as fucked as this place got, it made me, me. So, there you go. That's, um, man, so good. And now the whole thing about the songs recorded when they were 18, of course, that's Get Stoked On It, their first album. They no longer play songs from it live. They've come out uh, pretty publicly about the album, I guess. They remastered it in 2012, and he said that if you like the record, enjoy the new mixes. If you hate the record, I'm on your side. (laughs) Their basis, however, said that they don't hate the record, uh, and soon after heavily implied that if you like it, that's fine. They just just doesn't represent just doesn't represent what the band's best work is. Is kind of how they say it, you know. So, moving right along, the closing track, and now I'm nothing. Uh, in a track by track, oh man, why uh, uh, alternative press? Which I probably should have looked that up before <laughs> recording this episode. He says, uh, Dan says, if Came Out Swing brought you up to speed on where we've been since the upsides, and now I'm nothing lets you know where we are at the conclusion of our first full year as a full-time band and our first real opportunity to decide whether or not this place is home for us. I have my own bedroom now after a year of couch surfing. 
Uh, I'm not afraid of the same things I was last year, and I decided to stay around here, at least for now. Uh, I like a lot about this place. I like that our manager, my manger scene at Christmas is in a park between two cannons, and I really like that nobody in our town notices the irony. <laughs> this song, it's just a great closer, right? I like how he does mention that the manger scene every Christmas is next to a cannon in the song, but then also mentions that every year someone steals baby Jesus and nobody stops him. They said it's a nice tradition. The song's pretty great. But again, the song he I mentioned I see the 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 the, the idea of, of steady footing or or having or finding my footing and that seems to come up a lot. You know, like like how this particular you know, how how the thing I just read talks about, it. like this is kind of their way of Letting the letting you know where they are as a as a band now, right, and how they're going to move forward. So that's pretty cool. Uh, at the very end, you know, he says, uh, "I had dreams of myself as the Alan Ginsberg of this generation, but without the talent, madness, or vision. <laughs> I guess it's looking hopeless. We're city we're a city left digging out out cars in unison and humming like we've healed. I know we've got miles to go, but I'm putting my shoulder to the wheel. And that is how it ends the song and the album. So I do like another one where he says, uh, you know, I know that I'm that I'm introspective when broken, but I've been spending most of my nights here alone, and it, and that doesn't scare me like it did a year ago. So that's also pretty uh pretty good there, right? You know, again, just a super relatable record uh, from start to finish. Every song just has something in it that I can pull from and go, oh man, that reminds me of this or this or this, or maybe it can say something about a certain thing that I can't verbalize myself or haven't been able to really contextualize or whatever. Like it just seems to just do that perfectly. Right. Uh, so five out of five. Of course, I just love it. I don't know. Check it out. If you somehow have missed it for the last 10 years, go back and get it. Like get on Spotify, look it up, you know, do whatever it is that you need to do to find it. Right. That's all I got this week. Uh, it's going to be a, um, it's going to be a little while, I guess, before I release another episode. It'll probably be next month sometime, or maybe maybe even after that. You know, just be on the lookout. This is kind of one just to, because I really wanted to do this one. I wanted to put it out there and just, I kind of, I'll get the itch to, to record. And then obviously I'll just do it, spit one out. And then after that, just, I don't know. We'll see where it takes me, right? Uh, but if you enjoy this one, yeah, subscribe. I promise new episodes will be coming soon. Search up the Vinyl Countdown Podcast on Facebook, on instagram and then vinyl podcast five on twitter i'm kind of the most active on twitter and instagram i don't really get too much on facebook i guess as far as with the the podcast page twitter and instagram great you know holler at me that's it this week not really sure what what i'm gonna do next um i have some ideas of what some albums i want to talk about but um you know we'll we'll see we'll see where, where the where the month of august takes me so for the vinyl countdown i'm jeremy levine as always and i hope to be in your ears whatever the hell the next time I do this is. So uh, take care, everybody. Thanks.